Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. Well, to start with, I, you know, I'll let you know that something I said last week was wrong. Last week I said, we are at the end of our mini-series on the Minor Prophets. I don't know where my brain was at last week, because there's 12 Minor Prophets, and we were going to do four this October, and then four in spring, uh, or early, late winter next year, and then four October, and we'll get all 12. And last week, I was a week ahead. It was great in some ways and terrible in other ways because I started panicking. Like, there's things I haven't got done yet for the coming weekend, thinking it was confirmation weekend. I'm like, oh, wait. No, wait. We're on Amos. It, it, was, it was, you know, Hosea and Joel and Amos. And I forgot all about Obadiah. So today, we're going to wrap up the first portion of our series on the minor prophets. Again, we talk about minor prophets. It's not minor prophets like Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. It is minor prophets in that their writings were smaller. In fact, do you know how large Obadiah is? Obadiah is 21 verses. Which one chapter, if you even want to call it a chapter. 21 verses. You could read it, you know, at lunchtime and have read through it maybe twice even. So we, we do that. Let's just go over with a prayer, and then i got a question for you. Father God, we thank you as we've been exploring the minor prophets. Hey, Lord, as we dig into them, it's an opportunity for us to dig into these people that lived so long ago, your people, and see how in, in their lives we see our, our own lives, our own struggles at times. We also see your promise to them and your promise to us. Lord, bless us. We pray, Holy Spirit, open our ears and our hearts that your word would shape our lives. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so here's a question for you. How many of you fought with your brother and sister growing up, or brothers and sisters? Or if you got brothers and sisters, how many of you were single and didn't have any siblings at all? Okay, a few of you. Did you fight with anybody? Cousins, friends? You know, I had two brothers. There were times we got along really, actually, most of the time, we got along really well. You know, we had fun. You know, we grew up, we play sock wars. You know what sock wars is? Sock wars is when you go to the bottom of the dirty clothes hamper and you pull out the dirty socks that are just ripe and you pour, kind of fold them into a ball and you build forts in your bedroom and you throw socks at each other. Kind of like dodgeball, but with stinky socks. <laughs> you know, and then we did a lot of other great things together. We had played in the backyard with our dogs, climb trees. And one of the things that, you know, we did one time is, you know, we did more than one time, but, you know, we would take our, our wagon, you know, this was one of those plastic wagons, this was a nice good metal wagon, you know, and we'd tie that handle with some rope onto the back of a bicycle, and then one of us would lead off of the bicycle, and the others would be in the, um, it's a few of you going, yeah, 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 you would sit in the wagon, you go for a ride, right? And one of the times that we did this, you know, I was the bicycler, and so I'm pedaling away as fast as I go, and they're just bumping along down the sidewalk, and it comes a turn, and I take that turn nice and sharp, and guess where they went? Yeah, you know, they, they ate a little bit of cement, and um, they weren't very happy with me. I just remember I kept riding with the, the wagon now empty, going, doop, 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 doop. I'm like, I'm not stopping because they're riding. I, you know, we had our moments where we were at each other's throats, but really most of the time we really, really did love each other, and, and we're still connected today. Well, again, we're in this series, we're wrapping up the series, our three-part series of the Minor Prophets. Today, we really are. I'm absolutely certain today is the last day for this year. We're going to talk about the Minor Prophets with the prophet Obadiah. But as we talk about the prophets, really quick, let's review what a prophet is. 
Here's our definition of a prophet. A prophet is a person regarded as inspired proclaimer who conveys messages from God. So the prophet is someone that God has called. I mean, sometimes we hear prophets, and sometimes you listen maybe to somebody on TV, you know, the, the preacher, and they make the prophet sound like they're just some future teller, and often they're looking at events going on today, and they're saying, this is that prophet he was talking about, this event right here. Of course, 10 or 20 years ago, some other TV preacher said, this event going on right here, that's what the prophet's talking about. So they keep moving the ball down the court. But the primary thing the prophets did was to bring the people God's message. Did they sometimes look backwards and forwards? Yes, they did. But the primary thing they did was to bring God's message to his people. And that message is a twofold message. I keep repeating this because I just wanted this to sink into your head. So the first part of the message was often the law. And the law, if you learned this maybe in catechism days, confirmation days, the law shows us our sin. So the prophets sometimes would say, thus says the Lord, and there would be judgment. The, the God would challenge through the prophet the people for their sins. But God also, through the prophets, would give a voice of hope, a voice that pointed to his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness, his promise of restoring his people. And that's the gospel. And the gospel shows our Savior. Now, for the prophets, they often look to the past, the saving event of the past, when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, from the armies of the Pharaoh, brought them across on dry land, on that riverbed of the Red Sea, into the promised land. And that there, that event there, and then the prophets often, sometimes kind of in a blurry way, would point towards the saving event, when God would save his people, save all of humanity, in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his resurrection. So as you think about the prophets, and the ones that we've covered, the ones that we will cover, these were God's messengers of law and gospel, of challenging, calling the people out on their sins, but also a promise of restoration and hope, love, and forgiveness. So let's read a portion of Obadiah that we have for us this morning. Verse 15, this is a transitional verse in this 21-verse text. We read together. The day is coming when I, the Lord, will judge the nations, and Edom will pay in full for what you have done. Okay, in this is both law and gospel. We'll start with the law. And before we start with the law, I probably got to give you a little, you know, history here, kind of some events that unfolded, you know, decades and decades before. It goes way back to these two brothers, twins, named Jacob and Esau. Some of you may know Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, and guess what? They did not get along very well. In fact, the Bible tells us that even in their mother's womb, they were fighting and wrestling with each other. So those of you moms who know what it's like sometimes, you feel the baby kicking and punching, imagine having twins, and they're going at it. And then at their birth, Esau was the first one out. And then right on his heel, literally it says he's holding on to the heel, is his brother Jacob. That's why Jacob means supplanter. It's connected to that moment right there. So he's holding on to his heel, comes out. And again, twin brothers, yet in some ways they could, you just, you would never have known. These guys are so different in so many ways. I mean, yes, same mother and father, they were twins, but they were different. Esau loved the outdoors. He was an outdoorsy kind of guy. He loved to go hunting. Jacob, Jacob liked to stay close to camp. You know, these are nomadic people that lived centuries ago, so they lived in tents. He didn't go very far. 
Esau, Esau, you know, he, again, he loved to hunt. He, Esau was also known for being hairy. Like he had this red hair. In fact, the Bible kind of gives us this idea that he had so much hair on his body that if he was probably naked, you almost wouldn't tell. It just could cover with hair. So I don't know if you know some hairy people, but I mean, this guy was hairy. And then Jacob, just the opposite. He was smooth skin. Be like, you know, the one brother could grow this beard. I had a classmate, by the way, who by the end of the day, he almost had a beard. By the end of the week, he had this full beard, this guy from Montana. He just kind of pictured the guy from Montana. And then another classmate who could have gone months and months without shaving. And you're like, is there anything there? So this is Jacob and Esau. You know, hairy guy, no hair. And, you know, again, these guys are just so different. And, and so here is, is Esau, loves to on hairy guy, Jacob, smooth skin, you know, stays close to camp. Esau was dad's favorite. Isaac, you know, Isaac was the dad, and he loved Esau. I think he, part of the reason he loved Esau is he loved meat, you know. Esau brings me meat, we grill meat, mmm, good. And uh, we were in the youth group, you know, we were talking about steak. And we were all like, mmm, steak sounds really good now. And, and you know, he, he, he's a meat eater. And, and Esau's going to bring him some meat. And then, you know, there is Jacob. And Jacob stays close to camp. And he is Rebecca. That's the mom. He's Rebecca's favorite. So you got, you know, dad's favorite, mom's favorite, hairy, smooth skin, outdoorsy, in, indoorsy. Is indoorsy a word? Indoorsy. You know, they couldn't be so different. Now, we don't know a lot about their childhood, between the time that Jacob was grabbing his heel on the way out. We do know that someday, you know, there was this time where Esau had been out hunting, doing his old outdoorsy thing, which, by the way, too, he was known for being kind of a smelly guy. He had an odor about him. I don't know if that was just because, you know, he's outdoorsy and didn't think about showering or something like that, or... You know, I don't know, maybe you had an older brother and he just had a certain aroma about him. But he kind of smelled, which makes me, it doesn't say this about Jacob, but I think, did Jacob just smell really nice? I don't know. So here comes Esau. He's been out hunting and there's Jacob. And Jacob is, is cooking this lentil stew. Maybe he learned from mom to cook. You know, he was the Gordon Ramsay of his day and he's cooking this delicious meal. And, and so Esau, you know, comes in and he's like, oh. Jacob, give me some stew. I, mean, I don't know what he sounded like. <clears throat> give me stew. And <laughs> I'm give me stew. And, and I also imagine that maybe, because even when they were twins sometimes, maybe Jacob was bigger and Esau, or Esau was bigger and Jacob was smaller. Like my brothers, both six foot plus, and I'm not six foot plus. And, and Jacob, he's a little sneaky, devious kind of guy. He's like, first, give me your birthright. See, that's another thing about Esau and Jacob. Because Esau was first born, even though only by a few moments, he laid claim to the birthright. And the birthright meant in that culture, so like sometimes even today, that birthright meant that he inherited the family and everything that belonged to the family. All of their livestock, all of the property, everything that belonged to the family, all of its wealth belonged to Esau. And Jacob, the younger brother, by only a few moments, would serve his brother Esau. And so here comes Esau, mm, hungry, and give me some stew. And Jacob's like, give me your birthright first. And you, and you think Esau would be like, no way, you fool. And he says, okay, food. And I don't know if wrestling inside Esau's brain and stomach was a battle. You know, his brain going, no, it's your birthright. Don't lose your birthright, fool. His stomach is going, 
Mm, feed me, hungry. No, not a good idea. No, feed me, hungry. And so out he blurts and just says, okay, there it is. Birthright's given. Gobbles it up. It's gone. And then it seems like, you know, time rolls on and perhaps Esau forgot what he said because, you know, maybe his, probably his brother was joking. Maybe he really didn't care at the moment because he was just so hungry. I don't know. If, have you ever been that hungry before? And years pass. And now Isaac, the father, is old. I mean, really old. He can't see. He's blind. And his time is coming. Everyone knows, he knows, that his days are numbered. And so he calls Esau. Remember, Esau's his favorite, you know. Esau, would you go and would you go hunting and, and bring some meat back and cook me something tasty, something savory? And so Esau goes hunting. And Rebecca, the mom, is listening in. And so Rebecca says, Jacob, come here. Right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cook something up for your dad. And it'd be kind of something like Esau would make. It's going to be really, really good. And I want you to go in there and give it to him and, and pretend like you're Esau so that you will get the blessing. Because a blessing means that he'd get all the birthrights. Blessing also meant that, God, I want you to bless all of my kids, but I want a special blessing for this one here. And Jacob's like, like, Mom, you know, Esau's hairy. She's like, I got to figure it out. Get some lamb's wool, wrap it around your arms. Which, by the way, when I think about that, I think, I've seen lamb's wool before. How hairy was this guy? It's really hairy. Be like, whoa. Okay, so he wraps it around. He's like, Mom, you know, Jacob, you know, is like, Esau, you know, got a certain odor about him. She's like, go get some of his old clothes. That's just nasty. I think of like, you know, climbing the bottom of a, you know, dirty socks, you know, getting dirty socks and a dirty old gym shirt on or something like that that's been just roasting in that hamper for, you know, a week or so and pulling that out and say, yeah, I smell like my brother. Now, I'm not picking on my brothers. They didn't smell. But, you know, there Jacob saying like Esau, like, I smell like him. And then he goes in. To see his father, he's got the lamb wool, he's got the ripe old, you know, gym shirt. He's got, you know, the food that we like, something that he'd have from Esau. And he's like, oh, here, here you go, dad. Mm. Uh, maybe he didn't sound like that. You're like, But, you know, Jacob said, like, you don't sound like Esau. I got a cold, dad. He's like, well, well, let me feel you. And he, and he feels. He feels the sheep wool. He's like, yep, yep, that feels like my son. <laughs> Smells like my son. <laughs> and he gobbles up the food, and then, then he gives the blessing, the birthright he gives to Jacob. What do you think happened when Esau found out that Jacob received his birthright? I mean, I don't know if you've ever did anything if you had siblings. You ever did anything that upset your brother or sister so much that you could just see it on their face. I mean, Esau, understandably, was livid. And Jacob, what does he do? He flees for his life. He runs to his uncle, to Rebekah's brother, and he lives there for like 20 years. Gotta let my brother cool down a little bit. And then God says, e Jacob, you know, it's time to go home. And so Jacob goes home, a little bit uncertain. He, he gets to where he's got to cross the river to go to his family's land. He sends servants to let his brother know that he's coming to hopefully smooth things out and finally decides he's got to be one that goes forward to meet his brother and he does and he's expecting you know the worst because you know he's Jacob and his brother's Esau you know and what does Esau do Esau you know embraces him and forgives him and the family this relationship is restored 
Now, as time goes on, you know, Jacob, whose name later is changed to Israel, and his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. They become the nation of Israel. Esau, that family was also known as the Edomites, those from Edom. So now you can put a connection here for Obadiah. And when God is speaking through the prophet Obadiah to the Edomites, to Edom, he's saying, how could you forsake your relatives, your distant cousins? You should have been there for them in their hardship. Your arrogance and your pride is going to be your fall down. And this is through whom Obadiah, God speaks to him, to the people of Edom and also to the people of Israel. And he even speaks into our own lives today about pride, about arrogance. Because it really even goes back to the first sin when Adam and Eve sinned against God. It really is a pride. Because ultimately this is what it means to have a proud heart. A proud heart is an attitude of life that declares its ability to live without God. And for the Edomites and the Israelites through some of the other prophets, we heard some very similar challenges to them is they were living with pride and arrogance and saying, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. Now, in this series, we've asked a series of four questions that help us kind of dive into each text individually, see some of, some of the unique features of this text. First, what is this? What does God reveal about himself? Well, God reveals what he does a number of times in Scripture that he does not like. He's not excited about a proud heart. In fact, in Psalm 119, it says these words here. You rebuke those who are proud. Now, when God calls them out, it's not like he specifically says, I'm going to make this happen to you. But often what God does is, I'm just going to pull back and I'm going to let your situation, your pride and your arrogance get the best of you. And that's exactly what happens. Because again, a proud heart is an attitude of life that declares its ability to live without God. All right, our next question. What is a snapshot is given of the people's old covenant reality and its fulfillment? We'll go back to that verse we read together a little earlier at, earlier at the beginning. Let's read this together. The day is coming when I, the Lord, will judge the nations, and Eden will pay in full for what you have done. Now, what we don't see here, that's a very subtle thing in Obadiah, because in our English translations it doesn't pick up on this, is that 11 times in Obadiah's text, 21 verses long, he uses the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So when it talks about this, there's a reason this is a value for us to understand this. Because for the people of Israel, when he's using the name Yahweh, that calls them back to when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. When he says, as God is sending him to Egypt to speak to the Pharaoh, to speak to God's people, to say God's going to send us to the promised land, he says, who should I send sent me? He says, say that I am. And from this, you know, this is where God's people, the Israelites, get this name Yahweh. I am the verb to be. I am. So when they hear this word, each time they would hear that name Yahweh, it reminded them of God's saving event. And then as we speak to this saving event, this day of the Lord, this day of the Lord is when our Savior Jesus comes, the day when he comes. And of course, for God, sometimes all the events that might happen in the course of his birth, his death, his resurrection, and when he comes again, it sometimes is all mushed into one day. But the day of the Lord, the day when God will gather all nations, when he will judge all nations and peoples for their arrogance and their sin, but also the day we are assured of our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
Let's read together these verses here. This is why God has given him an exceptional honor, the name honored above all other names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and in the world below will kneel and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That ultimately what it's saying is that everyone, whether they recognize it or not, they will recognize that Jesus truly is Lord and that we will all kneel before him. We who believe in him will kneel with honor and joy in our hearts and those who have not believed will kneel in the arrogance and the rebellion. All right, a few more questions for us here. What does God reveal about us? Because as we read this, we can't all always completely identify with the people, but there are elements that often happen that we see in our own lives as well. And again, that's with that arrogance and pride and stubbornness that all humanity has. Let's read these words from Romans together. We know that whatever the scriptures say applies to everyone under their influence. And no one can say a thing. The whole world is brought under the judgment of God. Not one person can have God's approval by any effort to follow the laws in the Scripture. These laws show us what sin is. Let's stop right there. So these laws, again, the law reveals our sin. God is saying all of us are going to be called under judgment. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have sinned, it says, and fallen short of the glory of God, short of his expectations. Not just the Edomites, not just the Israelites, every one of us. Paul goes on to write these words here, which speak to us as well. Let's do the next set of verses here. Because all people have sinned, they have fallen short of God's glory. They receive God's approval freely by an act of his kindness through the price Christ Jesus paid to set us free from sin. So our hope is in that day of the Lord. Our hope is in the one who, though he was the king of the universe who had all the rights to be arrogant and proud, he was the one that humbled himself to be born of a virgin, to be born into this world, to suffer and die a terrible death for all the humanity, that we would be freed by him. So what does it mean for me and my neighbor? What it means for me and my neighbor, it means that you know, we love with the love that we've been giving, that even as we look like the Edomites and we look at others and say, who is God calling me to love? And throughout this series, we talked a lot about and referenced a lot about Jesus' words where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors, you love yourself. And he even tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and that how we are called to love as God has loved us. So, uh, you know, you talk about a proud heart. Let's talk about a humble heart real quick. A humble heart is an attitude of life that declares its inability to live without God. A humble heart says, I know I need God. I depend on his love and his care each and every day. A humble heart says, I know that he's called me to share that love and care with my church family, with those who are part of my immediate family, to my community, and my world. You know, here at Holy Spirit, we talk about growing in Jesus and sharing his love. And if we're going to grow in Jesus, it's not just having the knowledge about the story of Esau and Jacob, but it's understanding how we see God speaking to us through that story, challenging us and our sneakiness and our devious ways and our wicked ways challenge us in our arrogance and our stubbornness and our pride, but also assuring us that we are truly loved and forgiven by the God of the universe. That Jesus died long ago and rose again from the grave, not just for those big sins, but the little sins, every sin that we've ever committed, so that we know and live in his grace and forgiveness. 
So here's a question for you to reflect on as you go forward in this new week. What is one area in your life that you need to humbly declare your need for God? This is something you have to think about, something just to ponder and say, here's an area maybe I have been stubborn, arrogant, and God, I need to declare my inability to live without you in this area of my life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that these words that the prophets that spoke so long ago speak into our hearts and our lives. The Lord, they challenge us with the law, but they also comfort us with the good news of your love. A promise that these prophets did not see fulfilled in their life, but they knew you would fulfill in Jesus. And we see this from the other side of the cross. We see that fulfillment and the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. May your love shape our lives, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless.